0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell,
1: back to throw he's tight end. And Raja Bell.
0: Bell has
1: got 15, 22 for Raja. It's all the future of football right before
2: your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me.
0: Welcome into a Monday edition of Off the Bench with Cannell and Bell, and I'm filling in uh, horribly probably for Danny Cannell, no, Jimmy yeah. Eisenberg. Joined by, uh, Roger Bell. Thanks, Roger, for having me here. Oh, no doubt. And you're already doing better than I did the last time I was driving. So, like, <laughs> keep it up, bro. We're rolling. Speaking of driving. Yeah. Your partner. Your yeah. Co-host. Yeah. Your cohort. Your buddy. Danny Cannell on vacation, uh, with his family, enjoying, uh, some fun time, some free time, and some police time, apparently. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, Danny tweets, uh, day two of his trip. He's on a, I think it was a nine-hour road trip. Yeah. And I this should. is what happened to him.
2: Just hope that's not southern Georgia. Suffice to say, like I've been pulled
0: over in southern Georgia and I'm not gonna get into why it was a bad experience, but hope you didn't get pulled over in southern Georgia. Uh now I'm a Florida gator. He's obviously a, a Florida State Seminole. In in Georgia, Gator's not very welcome. True. So I wonder if Danny is actually welcome <laughs> that's in fact where he uh where he got pulled over. But um Needless to say, I'm sure he's having a good time, and and hopefully that didn't uh, didn't ruin his trip, and hopefully I don't ruin his show uh, along <laughs> with you. So let's get to uh, what we're talking about here today, and it starts with the drama in Dallas. Obviously, the uh, the Cowboys' opening training camp, as all the NFL teams are this time of year. Yeah, uh, Raj, I don't know how much uh, of you're following the the football landscape right now, but um, Des Bryant clearly uh, not with the team, but still in the news yep. as, as we're uh, we're well aware. So the Cowboys dealing with this drama, unfortunately. As uh Stephen Jones goes on Sirius XM radio, makes a statement. Sirius XM radio tweets out the statement incorrectly, apparently. Uh, and as we see here, here's what Stephen Jones was apparently saying, according to Sirius XM NFL. Uh, Dak is working on his game and his accuracy. I think that was tough last year. Speaking of uh, Dak Prescott, the quarterback there. I think that was tough last year with Des Bryant in his ear. I think he'll have the year he had last year, if not better. Now, Dez sees that. He reacts, gets a little bit upset, but here's actually what the quote was from Stephen Jones, who is the vice president of the Cowboys. He says, Dak Prescott has uh, got to trust the system, which at times last year there was pressure with Dez in his ear and to some degree Jason, meaning Jason Witten in his ear. Those great players want the ball. So clearly Stephen Jones not necessarily calling out Dez Bryant. Right. But what Dez saw sounds like he was calling out.
2: Right. Yeah. That's, you know, this is one of those things where you know, you like you say to the player, like, Dez, like, get over and move on. Try to, like, find you a new new team. Just go out there and let your game kind of do the talking, you know, at this point. But I got to put a little blame on Steven Jones. Like, your job when you get in front of a microphone is not to, like, add fuel to any kind of fire. Like, that's your job when you're an executive. Um, and you have to know that saying something like that, not just about Des, but about Jason Witten, that throws a little fuel on those little... Those little embers that are still kind of burning there with Dez. So I gotta put a little of, of it on, um, you know, Steven Jones. You, you, you should, look, talk about Dak going forward. Talk about the progress that he's made this offseason. Uh, talk about the changes in the offense that you think could benefit Dak. No need to really throw any shade at Dez or at Jason Witten for that regard. Um, but clearly, you know, there's some hard feelings there with the way things went down. Like, Dez has made no bones about, like, griping and, and voicing his opinion. and – you know, talking about some of his teammates other, uh, you know, than Dak and, and the organization once he
0: got started with these tweets. Yeah, he, uh, he did not hold back. Right. And, and no. uh, I just want to ask you because you've been in an executive role. And I'm sure, uh, when you work for Cleveland, you're probably asked about some players. Sure. Did you take that advice that you just gave to Stephen Jones yourself and just sort of, you know, put the question maybe to the side? Because obviously the guy asking the question had to, you know, he's, he's doing his job. He's asking you about. Oh,
2: so you have, you pivot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you do in a situation like that. You, you, you ask me the question and I'm going to dance around it and talk about what <laughs> I want to talk about. Like it, it would make no sense for me to be asked about, I mean, let's say JR Smith or, or, or somebody like that, um, when I was with Cleveland and give anybody in the media, Good friend of mine, not a good friend, like anyone for, anyone. I, I, sh- I can't give them anything to hang on to or to write about, you know? And I just, I think that was one of those moments that if Stephen Jones had to do it all over again, even though it
0: was taken out of context to some degree, he would have went back and, and kind of cleaned the language up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you mentioned he did not stop in terms of Des Bryant. And as we know, uh, he said some things about Sean Lee, said some things about some of his other teammates, uh, and Sean Lee, uh, uh certainly had something to say in terms of what, uh, what's going on with Des as well. Yeah. So, Sean, First thing, I, to yeah, say that there he I, is.
3: I can get anybody off the team and uh, having input on the roster is absurd. Um, second thing, I love Dez and I, and I want the best for him. Um, you know, to be honest, we, we did butt heads because I wanted Dez to be more accountable to this team and his teammates. Um, and to be honest with you, a lot of the team felt that way. Um, I think he needs to look at himself and hold himself accountable.
2: Not buying it. You love Des. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to buy that. And when they come out and you say we butt heads, um, I wanted Des to be more responsible, more of a leader. I think a lot of his teammates did too. So I think there's enough shade there being thrown at Des. Um, not saying that you shouldn't. Des kind of fired first, but but let's be frank. I don't think you loved Des. And look, there are times. You know, I've been on locker rooms where guys didn't necessarily see eye to eye, and I think it's funny that some of these guys come out and say, "Hey, I couldn't get a player." I couldn't get a player uh, fired. No, I'm not like you didn't make the end the decision. But when a coach comes to you or management comes to you and says, "Hey, man," like you know, what's the deal with with Jamie? Like I can either give you an endorsement or I could say, like, hey, yeah, man, I'm like you know what I mean. Sure, and while I might down. not fire you, I certainly don't stand up for you, right. and uh, you know what I mean. And I would, I would imagine if I'm reading the tea leaves or if I'm reading between the lines there, um, that Sean Lee um, probably, when asked. Did not endorse Dez. and I think that's kind of what Dez was saying. Now I don't, obviously don't know
0: that, but I think clearly from the sound bite I, I saw in his body language during the interview, like he's not a Dez fan. All right you, you probably I mean I, I know I covered the Dolphins for a few years and, and you had a leadership council. you know, and, and I'm sure teams have that in place, mm-hmm. you know, where there are certain guys on the team that have been there for a long period of time, um, coach management situations, they will go to a player, and exactly what you said is probably like, do you want Dez around?
2: Yeah. Maybe. So, I mean, you could go crickets, right. right? You could be like, damn right, we want this. Or, or, you know, you could even get into further, like, degrading the guy in his image, but. And hey, let me ask you a question. What's a leadership council? Cause like in the NBA, I guess right. maybe because we don't have that many guys, um, there's no like leadership council. Right. We're all grown men. Like, right. we don't need a leadership council. Like, I, Jamie's a leader. We know that because he comes in every day, does his
0: job, and people follow. He's like the Pied Piper. Culture flows through Jamie. Like, why do you need a council? I think for the NFL, at least, you know, uh, The the teams I covered, it was you had somebody on the offensive side. Typically, it was one of the leaders of the offensive line, if not the quarterback. Uh, Maybe one of the skill position guys. Defense, same thing. Defensive line, a linebacker. uh, You know, defensive back, maybe. You know, four or five guys, maybe head of special teams. And so it was something that was to try and have a bridge between the the entire group and just the coaching staff. And and some of it gets overblown. Voted on? Uh, No. I think it's typically... Uh, well, probably captains. Yeah. Like, I don't remember exactly how it was. Right, 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 right. Uh, We're going back a lot of years now. No, I right. got you. I got you. Uh, um, that's really interesting. I, I think it's just generally having that bridge between let's have an open line of communication. Yeah. And these are the veteran guys who have been around maybe just with the team or the league. Uh, but probably different than the NBA, obviously, because like you said, well, the, the, the amount of people. And a lot of different factions, right? Like you and got O different lines, different lines that are with O lines and. and, and right. And, yeah, okay. I uh, got uh, you. Heads of different groups. Yeah. You know, things things mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah. Um, the Cowboys have a uh, new voice, um, you know, presumably because of the changing of the guard. You know, you have Jason Witten gone, you have Dez Bryant gone, and now Dak Prescott coming into his third season. Um, a lot of uh, expectations being heaped upon him. Yeah, he did not play well last year, um, uh, especially the second half of the season. So the Cowboys' year kind of went a little bit. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde. Before the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, Dak Prescott playing very well. Yeah. After the suspension, had some offensive line issues. And Dak sort of falls apart. So he comes into year three. Um, expectations are different now because it's his team. Does that change for a young player when it starts to, you know, go from, okay, on no expectations because he was playing behind Tony Romo his first training camp, big time expectations. And then when you're on a franchise like the Cowboys, everything is on his shoulder.
2: Yeah, I think it changes your, your perspective a bit. Like, you know, a guy like Dak who came in, I, I, forgive me, I don't know where he was drafted, but he wasn't like a first round. He was, I believe, a third round pick. Yeah. So you probably, you got chip on your shoulder. Like you weren't expected to probably play that year and you, know, you, you just came in there. You got nothing to lose. You know, you're letting them hang and, and the success was there, right? And that changes from year one to year two because now there's a bit of a target. Yep. People have to book on you a little bit. Um, you know, I think it was unfortunate because, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, Was like that's a security blanket and a half, right? Absolutely. So you know when he goes out, not only not only does like the mental aspect change from year one to year two, and now I have to double down on my success, but now they're going to ask you to do exponentially more because that security blanket of Ezekiel's gone. You just touched on the offensive line being a little porous and them having some issues with that. So. They're asking you to do more. Everybody's got the book on you. There's a little bit more pressure on you. And so, yeah, he struggled with that down the stretch uh, or the second half of the season. I, I think that was to be expected with all of those uh, circumstances in play. I expect him to have a good year. I think he's a good pro. I've, I've watched him. I've watched the interviews that he does Um I've paid attention to the fact that he's never in the media for any reason. Yep. Um, which, which lends itself, you know, and Danny and I argue about this all the time about the quarterbacks and the CEOs and not being, but I mean, I, I, I ingest, I mess with him because he's a quarterback, but I do understand the sentiment there. Like he seems like a solid, solid guy, a pro, someone who, because you don't see him in the media, is probably somewhere, you know, going through his film, you know, making sure that he tightens up on the reads that he didn't make last year and really trying to perfect that craft. So I expect with Ezekiel back, um and him having that second year under his belt and experiencing the the downs. Now he's got,
0: you know, ups and downs to kinda to balance each other out. I think he'll come back and have a really good third year. Yeah, and he has a new receiving core as well. You know, yeah. they get rid of Dez and and, and Witten and it's, uh young player Michael Gallup, old player in Alan Hearns, you know, so a lot of new moving parts there. And that's something I think that he has to make work.
2: Yeah, and that's that's also, for a young player, that's tough, right? When you have guys, like say a young point guard comes into the NBA and he's got Carmelo pulling on him, let's say. And I don't mean to throw – this isn't throwing any shade at Carmelo, but a guy who you know wants the ball, right? And you know maybe the skill set doesn't warrant and the age doesn't warrant him having it all the time. Uh, and then on the other wing, let's say you got like a D-Wade. D- so let's say you got Melo and D-Wade, two guys that are – you know. Obviously superstars, but aging a bit, probably can't get it done to the same degree that they could get it done. And they're in your ear. You, you revered these guys as a young point guard coming up. Like that's, that's Dak, Jason Witten, um, uh, Des Bryant. Like you're going to try to get those guys the ball. Maybe even to a fault at times, because right? Because you revere them, uh, to that degree. And so without that, with the absence of those, like sometimes it's addition by subtraction, not the skill set necessarily, uh, but allowing a young quarterback to maybe clear his mind and actually do what, what I think Stephen Jones was trying to say, like trust the system, right? Like put the ball where it needs
0: to go because you made the read, not because said player said he needs a ball. So the Giants quarterback is not here. We've become the Dallas podcast, apparently he's talking about the Cowboy. <laughs> uh, but Des Bryant no longer a Cowboy. Obviously, uh, he's trying to find a new team and he's being recruited. Uh Antonio Brown comes out and tweets he says he wants uh Des Bryant to come join him in Pittsburgh. Uh rumors of Cleveland potentially being interested because of the Josh Gordon situation. Uh if he's not going to be around because of what he's dealing with with sort of his mental health and trying to get himself uh, himself you know ready for the season. Des Bryant though, uh seems to be a bad teammate. By some accounts yes, by some accounts no. Is Des somebody you think that could be a difference maker for a team in your opinion from what you see from the outside perspective? I do. Yeah, I think, now I don't think a situation like Cleveland
2: is in his best interest or probably the Browns best interest at this point. Like, while you're trying to establish culture, I don't know that Dez is the guy. Like, you know, and I, look, Tony Romo came out and said he was a great teammate. So, like without having any like real first hand knowledge of that situation, like I'm reluctant to kind of say whether he is or he isn't, but that's neither here nor there. I think, there's enough of a sample size to know that, like, when you got young guys in the room and you're trying to develop younger quarterbacks, um, like Baker Mayfield. I mean, I know they have Tyrod Taylor, but you're trying to s- establish culture there in Cleveland. You're starting on a fresh slate. Uh, I don't know that I would put him in there with Josh Gordon and guys like that. I probably would stay away from that. Not enough of a difference maker to really get them over the hump. You're talking about, like, teams like Pittsburgh and, and, like, New York and places like that where, You've got established quarterbacks, Ben Rosselberg, Ben Rofflesburg with Eli Mann, and you got number one receivers, right. um, guys that, you know, he would have to defer to to some degree. Again, I'm gonna go back to Carmelo a little bit. Like, you gotta pair him with alphas, guys that are already clearly in place where he can't misconstrue the situation. And in that role, I do think he's good enough to help those teams, teams like that that are kind of knocking on the door a little bit. I think he's good enough to help him get over the hump, and I don't think he affects your culture uh, to the same degree that he would in a situation where you got babies in your locker
0: room. Yeah, I, I guess for anybody listening to this and listening to me for the first time, so football's my background. I'm, I'm a fantasy guy here at CBS Sports. And from my perspective, I'd love to see him in San Francisco. Yeah. I agree with you 100% on he needs probably somebody to balance him from the alpha standpoint, but they're kind of void of a number one type of guy. Now, he doesn't have that skill set anymore, at least right. from the perception of how he played last year, but that's a receiving core that can use some help. Yeah. And that was one of the rumored destinations once he was cut that San Francisco might be interested. So that's one team I'd like to see him uh, potentially end up on. But I agree with you. I think he needs to be in a situation where the expectations on him are not to walk in and be savior. Right, 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 right. Because that's kind of how he was, was viewed in Dallas. So we right. will be interesting to see where uh, where Dez does end up. Speaking of uh, Dez and his uh, ability to sort of tweak things with social media, we okay. have uh, uh, athletes use of social media. Coming up next year on uh, Off the Bench and and looking at the situation in Dallas, Jason Witten, ironically enough, uh, penned his first story for ESPN. As we know now, he's calling uh, Monday Night Football, so part of the ESPN family, ABC family. Um, He uh, sort of indicated that Twitter has become poison in the locker room. Now, I know you're not big on social media. Yeah. um, But... Jason, obviously, you know, is uh, as he's leaving the NFL in his mid-30s, uh, looking at it how these younger players are coming into the league and, and sort of using Twitter. So um, he says uh, that, according to the story, uh, the most concerning thing, uh, watching a really talented player corrupt his mind and confidence by reading all the critiques from anonymous football experts around the world. Negative social media can ruin a player. Reading your mentions, it's poison. So he talks about that, you know, just kind of being a problem in the locker room, in the locker room culture. So if you were playing now, Raja. Yeah. And you think it's something that you would sort of take part in? I would have less of a social media profile than I have right now. If you're playing. If I were playing.
2: And I I mean I, I'm on Instagram, like, uh, but it's a private account, and then I keep a public one for my youth basketball program. And I would be less prevalent on social media than I am. I would not have a Twitter account. Like I would there's nothing good it can come from that in my opinion. Now I, and this is purely the, in a vacuum talking about like your craft as a basketball, football, baseball player. Now, clearly, you know, the value of social media in terms of your marketability, um, you know, your your branding and stuff like that. Like, I can't argue that, but when you're talking about purely your performance in said sport, um, there's, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Like if you could tell me how, like a mention on Twitter is going to help you knock down free throws, like I'll get Twitter tomorrow, but it just doesn't, there's no way that helps. So, um, I I tend to agree with Jason Witten in that if you're listening to a million voices, um, it is going to kind of distract you at some point. Like when we're in a locker room and there are 12 of us, there are probably 15 voices that matter. The 12 of ours – and three coaches two of the coaches don't even matter like do you know what i mean like we're keeping a really tight circle on what the message is and what we're trying to do um and our arguments and our just you know all of that needs to be as close to the vest as we can keep it when you've got 15 people in a room and so to let any of it out um to millions is is just ridiculous and then to be bringing information in and letting it affect you know our chemistry and what we've got going on is just asinine and so you know, I've, I've said many times, like I wasn't a sports center guy. I didn't want to know what people were saying about me. I had no interest, but my mother did. And you know, the few times that she would bring to my attention, like when she's looking at someone's like, uh, the mentions or the, like the comments on an article she may have read in like the Arizona, like central or whatever it was, right. that's hurtful stuff, man. Like, you know, I'd be like, ma, I don't want to see it, but she sent it to me on a text. So I kind of read it. Yeah. I mean, it's hurtful stuff. And if you were in the habit of like reading that over and over again. I if you were weren't tough enough mentally, I could see where it would start to affect you. Um you know, not to mention like again I touched on the chemistry, you know, people are gonna be grabbing at you, Hey man, you need more shots. Hey brother, you need to you know you need to do this. Why do they play Sean? Well, what, and what
0: about the fun aspect of it though? Like, you said, No 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 fun. Nope. <laughs> but I mean nope. like you know the well first off there's two two aspects of it I think which could help clearly once, you know, reach a certain level. Yeah. Marketing your brand. Yeah, sure. You know? I mean, there's obviously ways to, to do that. And then the Joel Embiid side of things, you know, where he has fun with it and sort of can just be entertaining on there and show his personality a little bit more. I think that's
2: all in the marketing bucket. And I can't argue that. Like if you're, look, if you're witty enough, uh, um, and you got a great enough personality, which clearly he does to do that and have fun with it, like, I, dude, uh, again, I could not give you a reason why you shouldn't do it in that lane. Right. But it doesn't help his basketball product, if anything, it hurts it because you're gonna fire up Hassan Whiteside, who might have been a sleeping dog one night sure. and now he's coming in because you're talking crap to him on 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 Twitter and Instagram, so like I get it your're brand building like that but see this is the diff this is a generational thing right like this is this is this new generation of business people that are these athletes they they build their own brands, they're taught to do it. Since the time they're at the NBA top 100 camp when they're 15 years old. Nobody ever told me about a damn brand. The only brand I knew was like, like Kellogg's and like Nike. Like that's all I knew. So I didn't know about building my brand. And if I was raised under those, you know, the, under today's social media, uh, whatever you want to call it, maybe, it, maybe I'd be doing it too. But it certainly, it just, I can't, Jamie, it just doesn't help your product on the
0: court. It, Clearly, it could help you off the court. It could hurt you as well, uh, but on the court, it doesn't help you. Yeah, no, I, I, I see your perspective, and and I think the best thing you said in that is if you're mentally tough, mm-hmm. because if you're mentally tough and you can have fun with it and block out the other things, sure, then you're in good shape. If you can't, and you're going to let these things creep in, as Jason Witten has, you know, obviously seen, and right. as, as you've talked about, that's going to be something it's not I've, for everybody, uh, right? And 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 sometimes Twitter is not for everybody, as we are seeing, unfortunately, with some some players around Major League Baseball. Um, there were a couple instances uh, just this past weekend, and, and as we know, Josh Hader over uh, the All-Star break for yeah. the Brewers. But uh, the brave Sean Newcomb, interesting day for him. Nearly goes through a, a no-hitter um, and then has to apologize for some insensitive tweets that uh, he unfortunately said, well, I believe he was 18 or 19 years old. Yep. Um, so, the you know, just got to put it out there. So what, what Newcomb said in his apology, uh, I just wanted to apologize for any insensitive material. It was a long time ago, six or seven years ago, saying some stupid stuff with friends. I know I've grown a lot since then. I didn't mean anything by it. It was just something stupid I did a long time ago, and I didn't mean anything by it for sure. So uh, same thing for, for Trey Turner. Also on Sunday, some tweets were exposed from him. It's an interesting world that we're living in. Here. Yeah, I really go back and find these things that <laughs> high school kids have said, but uh, they're adults now and they have to apologize for it. So Trey Turner says, there are no excuses for my insensitive and offensive language on Twitter. I am sincerely sorry for those tweets and apologize wholeheartedly. I believe people who know me understand those regrettable actions do not reflect my values or who I am, but I understand the hurtful nature of such language and i am sorry to have brought any negative light to the Nationals organization, myself or the game I love. So both guys, uh, some, um, homophobic tweets, yeah. um, some racially insensitive tweets, um, and you've been in a lot of locker rooms where, you know, if somebody does something stupid or, you know, something that's happened in their past, they have to come back in and, and face the music. Right. How do you approach that as, uh, as someone who's, you know, dealing with teammates that you may or may not have known they said these things before? Yeah. And it may change your perception of them.
2: Uh, yeah, it would definitely change my perception because I'm not one of the guys. Well, first of all, allow me to ask you, like, you're obviously relevant on Twitter and whatnot. Can you just erase? stuff that you wrote a long time ago or does that always live so like, uh, in, I, in I, I
0: believe you can and the only reason i know this I, i've never uh thankfully had to go back and yeah. look at my old tweets uh but a, a colleague of ours who will remain nameless when uh, they got the job here at cbs that's the first thing they did went back and looked at everything that they ever tweeted okay smartly enough yeah and deleted all of that so i guess my first question would to a teammate
2: would be like why didn't you do that like because that just seems like seems like Common sense, right? Like, I mean, you know what you were tweeting when you were, but aside from that, um, I would look at them differently because, like, that's who you are, bro. Like, seven years ago, I like, if I was saying something seven years ago, I'm just talking about me personally. I haven't changed my school of thought on it that much. You know what I mean? Like, if I was-
0: You're how old, Roger? I'm 40 years old. Okay. So I'm, I'm 42. Yeah. We're, we're in our mid-30s seven years ago. Yeah. Early 30s in your case. 17 is different. Now, I'm not defending these guys by any stretch. Sure. But, but what, things you say when you're a teenager and when you're an adult. Yeah. Different. Now, I, I get, c- clearly, but I can, I can remember when I was
2: 17. And I guess what I'm saying is, as his teammate, like, it's not a guy that I can't work with anymore. But I, again, you've given me some insight into who you are. And who because, your family maybe. Correct. Because at 17, um, I clearly didn't know the things I knew at 24. But if I was using homophobic slurs at 17, I was still using them at 24. I you promise may, you. You, that.
0: you may be smart enough not to use them at 24, but they're still a part of your. Yeah, DNA, like and so it gives it
2: gives me like like I again like my perspective may have changed, but if the, if those are the conditions that I was raised under and I was taught to use you know those words and stuff like that, that's that, that's right. You're more polished as a human being, right? You know how to keep that a little closer to the vest, but that's the, like at your core, you're this. You're pretty much the same guy now. There are circumstances that can come up in anybody's life that will like, shift your, your whole world view. And that happens. Um, but I don't know that it happened to one of these guys. I think they wound up getting some money and wound up, you know, coming out of whatever town they came out of. And they, they got a little more polished. And as they climbed the ranks, they figured out, Hey, man, that's not the coolest stuff to be out there spitting out for the whole world to hear. Do they say it when they're at their? I don't know. Right. But so as their teammate, I I would probably look at them a little differently, just knowing that about them. I don't know that it would stop me from like talking to them on a day to day basis or trusting them to be my, my teammate or anything like that. But I think it would if you're asking me like, yeah, it would change the way I you know, interacted with them a little bit.
0: Would you try to maybe? I don't know if the word coach is the right way, but in in terms of somebody said something racial in their history, yeah. Would you try and maybe teach them? right and wrong you know because they may not have had that type of exposure as a as a young person um yeah pull them aside and say you look you know this this is why it's insensitive and what i
2: I think if you're an older like yeah like if i'm 35 years old in that locker room like let's grab lunch let's just let's just talk about it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because look i i'm not in here professing to be like like we all do dumb like i said a lot of stupid stuff in my day you know what i mean thankfully like i'm not a twitter dude like you know what i mean and I would like to think if I was, I would have scrubbed it clean or whatever. But the point is, um, yeah, man, like I'd, I'd like to, that's part of your role as an elder statesman in a locker room or a clubhouse is to take these guys and, and, you know, try to break them in and teach them how to be a pro and teach them how to be good men, you know, and teach them how to do things the right way when they get there. And that doesn't always mean. Like how to use a screen and roll or how to play somebody right. coming off a pin down. Sometimes it means like, Hey man, like look, we need to take care of our bodies a little better. Like you, you know, I see y'all you and you're, you're in the streets and then I see you in the morning and you can't get up like, or, or hey bud, let's work on your breath, your eating habits or, you know, something like this maybe. So yeah, I'd like to think that maybe I grab lunch, but I look generally speaking, um, as far as it pertains to race and me, like, like my, I, I was born in a, melt, like in a melting pot in the Virgin Islands. Like I went to private school for, for half my life. I went to public school for half my life. Like I'm kind of chameleon. You can drop me into any situation and I can kind of survive, but I, don't, I have very little tolerance for, for ignorance as it pertains to people judging other people's races. And so I would try to have lunch with you, but I ain't going to dig into it. If that's who you are, that's kind of who you are.
0: Yep. And hopefully these guys, uh, you know, you, you hate to see something like this having to change somebody, but hopefully they are changed and, and changed, uh, for the better. Let's go now. To, uh, you have ha- you have to see. It. Excuse me. Uh, I'm I'm sorry again. I'm going to butcher a lot of stuff. Good, you have to man. see it. So you have to see LeBron James go through warm up lines with his son Bronny's AAU team, Uh and Dad wasn't the only one throwing down, as we'll see here. Uh. Bronny with his first ever dunk in warm ups. Oh, Bronny season. caught one too. Yeah, apparently so. This had to
2: be a treat for the people at the AAU. This is in Vegas, I think. Uh. I don't know how many dads hop out in the layup lines. Okay, here goes Bronny. Seventh grade wrote up to myself oh that wasn't even a fingertip he dunked that i didn't get my first dunk until 10th grade 10th
0: grade and it was not as good as that dunk in <laughs> 7th grade <laughs> i'm still looking for my first one so you know uh, maybe maybe when i get to uh, i don't know aarp <laughs> <laughs> we, get to, we get to that league we'll, uh, we'll we'll get there so coming up we're going to talk about uh lebron makes his first comments about joining the lakers and partnering with the great magic johnson uh will he be able to be and win like magic and plus summer reading with Raja makes its Monday return. That's Yay. next off the bench with Cannell and Bell. Welcome back to uh Off the Bench with canella
2: and Bell. Let's uh let's hit a segment that we call Read and React. Um all right, so Hall of Fame at six in Coopertown Ceremony. Chipper Jones, Trevor Hoffman, Vladimir Guerrero, Jim Tomey,
0: Alan Trammell, and Jack Morris. Great What's list reaction. Great, Great list. Yeah, man. I mean you look at these guys. This is the uh, the era of baseball I grew up watching. So Chipper was, uh, you know, one of the best and, yeah. you know, well deserving of this, uh, of this honor. And, uh, I think it's pretty cool with Vlad Guerrero that his son is playing now. Uh, we just saw the thing with LeBron and, and his son. Um, it, it's pretty awesome that you're going to have potentially, you know, an, a, what, not the same thing because they're not playing at the same time, but, uh, Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr., if Vlad Jr., you know, comes up and plays at a high level.
2: Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, T.O. finally reveals why he won't be in Canton. So, um, you know, it's been going back and forth about the reasons, but this is what he said. Uh, what I will say is that my character is something that I will always defend. That's what happened the first two times around with the Hall of Fame. When you got the media over the course of my career that habitually told lies, and obviously the media and everybody else, even the writers, that really started to factor into the character issues. That's what's. That's what it's mostly
0: about. I hate this. I honestly do. Go, go to Canton, enjoy yourself. You deserve this. Yeah, You're I hear one you. One of the best receivers of all time. One of the best players of all time. It's very similar to the Des Bryant situation. You hear, you don't hear teammates questioning To, right? You hear media questioning To, and he's had his. He's not a uh, choir boy by any stretch. But this is, you know, I, I get it. You want to have your own. He you could do both. Do do your thing at your college. Yeah. Go to Canton. Put on the jacket. Give your speech and and do what everybody else has done because you deserve to be up there with the greats. No, I hear you. I hear you. I think that's a proper reaction to that, which takes us to our next segment. It's called overreaction or
2: proper reaction. Uh, I'll read them out and you tell me if this is over or proper. Um, so the first one is LeBron will deliver a championship uh, to Los Angeles and instead of me reading it, we've got some sound from LeBron. Overreaction, a proper reaction. I'm moving. I'm moving to Los Angeles. This is This is kind of like a dream come true for me. You know, growing up You know, I was a Cowboys fan. I was a Bulls fan. I was a Yankees fan. And I've always felt like that was like the one of the historic franchises. And you look at the Lakers, you know, being able to play for a historic franchise, you know, with so much history, you know, and and now being able to partner with Magic Johnson, someone I kind of like. You know, looked up to when I was younger and, you know, wanted to make no look passes like magic, wanted to get on the break and be showtime like magic and then for it to all come to fruition at this point. Um, I think timing is everything.
0: Overreaction, proper reaction, proper reaction. I mean, what is he supposed to say? I'm, I'm coming here just to, you know, build my brand and, and, you know, maybe win a championship. Of course he's trying to win a championship. And, and I think this year is LeBron's here. Next year, Kawhi's free. Yeah. Let's see if we get him. See who else is, you know, I mean, you know the free agent class, uh, you know, who can we get to, to, to come to LA with me? Yeah. Um, and it's not a bad thing to be paired with Magic Johnson or try to be like Magic Johnson. He was my favorite player growing up. Yeah. I grew up, it was still Celtics Lakers and, you know, I, I gravitated toward the fun aspect of, of watching that, um, rivalry unfold. So. I wanted to be like Magic too. I'm not him. <laughs> I'm not you, but uh, I'm not him either, brother. You no. know, it's uh, it, it's certainly something that that he's supposed to say. And and look, you could sense his enthusiasm. I think it's a proper reaction too. Uh, I think that
2: LeBron's track record be for itself. He goes places, and they win championships. Yeah. Uh, provided you get him the help that he needs, and I think that the Lakers have positioned themselves um, with cap space and young assets that they'll be able to do that. And you know, it took him a year to get it done in Miami, but he got it done promised it to Cleveland when he went back. They put the pieces around him. Um, He got it done there. So I think it's a proper reaction. I think he's going to L.A. with something in mind, and I think – that he'll get it done when it's all said and done, him and Magic together. Yeah, he just wish he was uh, 24 instead of 34. True know. that. True that. The window's <laughs> a little smaller than it was in the past, right. but but uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll figure it out. All right, so every Monday over the summer I'm we excited do a segment. You, are you? Oh, yeah. All right, it's called uh, – what's it called? Summer Reading with Raja, where we read uh, excerpts from the book Seven Seconds or Less by Jack McCollum, um, where I was prominently featured. I don't know if that was a good thing or not, but let's get right into it. So uh, this is – Me discussing universal support, or this is Jack discussing universal support for Raja (laughs) after the clothesline. The coaches love Bell, not just for his competitiveness, but for his loyalty. Shortly after he signed his free agent contract, the Suns went after another free agent, Michael Finley. And though signing Finley would have meant less playing time for Bell, he was among those who went on Finley's recruiting trip. Finley eventually signed with San Antonio.
0: What's what's a recruiting trip like? Because, you know, you hear about this in the NBA, you know, Dwayne and, and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch recruiting LeBron. Right. Eric Rose didn't want to recruit guys. So you actually did want to recruit Michael Finley or they so asked you to recruit Michael? I think if I remember correctly, like I was supposed
2: to. It, what they did was they signed me. They were going to let Quentin Richardson go, but they were trying to keep Joe Johnson. And then Atlanta came in and got this huge, you know, dropped this huge boatload of money on Joe. And so Joe left. And, you know, I. Okay, I was coming in, but you need somebody else in there with me, right? So I was more than willing to, to recruit Mike. I had played, Mike Finley was my vet in, in Dallas and I really liked Mike. Mike looked out for me and and really took care of me. And so it was no problem. Now I think Jack got this wrong because I don't think I went on that recruiting trip. I think I made a call to Mike uh, and just told him like, dude, we'd, we'd love to have you guys here. Like it's a great place. Um, let him know how the guys were treating me since I had gotten there and the opportunity for he and I to shoot like a thousand threes that had been (laughs) vacated. Um, but there's some guys that don't want to do it. Um I was cool with it though cuz I had just, you know, quite frankly, I had just kind of got my money. I wasn't threatened by the fact that right. Mike was coming in. Like I was cool. Let's be as good as we can be at that point, you know? If you weren't getting paid though, would it have been different? Probably. Yeah, you know cuz look, I, I need to put on enough of a performance which means I got to play a certain amount of minutes to, to to entice somebody to give me the money that maybe I don't deserve. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh let's keep it moving. Bell, uh, so this is the next excerpt. Bell admits to a history that includes more than a few scuffles on and off the court. Uh, During his sophomore year at BU, a coach sent him to a sports sports psychologist to discuss anger management. Bell attended a couple of sessions, but nothing much came of it. I didn't dig it, he says. I never thought I had an anger problem. I just thought I was trying to find out who I was, trying to figure out how I fit in. In retrospect, yeah, maybe I could have talked
0: to somebody. might have helped me out a little bit. (laughs) I got to tell you, first (laughs) off. This has got to be weird for you to be reading. Very weird, very yourself. weird. Second of all, it's your quote. You're not supposed to say he said, you're uh, supposed to say I said. Well, yeah, true. All right. Oh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> you're supposed to say it's first person. Um, um so yeah, tell me about this. <laughs> what, what was this like? So
2: first of all, Jack had way too much like, so what they did was they dropped him in on us like early in training camp and it was like Jack McCollum guys like meet him and like, so on and so forth. He's going to do a His book. Sports <laughs>
0: Illustrated the time. Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to do a book, right? But you get told that like in, I don't know, September 21st or something like that by the time like, I don't know. January rolls around. Like you're not
0: thinking of him as a guy writing a book anymore. It's just a dude that's there every day with it's you. It's like uh, the movie Almost Famous, where uh, the 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 kid is. Yes. And the whole yeah. Time. Jesse Eisenberg. Uh No, that's my cousin. But <laughs> no, Jesse Eisenberg's your cousin. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, dude. uh, I forget the what? actor's name. It's a Cameron Crowe. Movie? No, I Cameron Crowe.
2: I I, yeah. I I know the movie. My yeah. bad on the actor, but yeah, like so he becomes such a fixture that he's just privy to like all of this mm-hmm. personal information, and it's really like when I read his book for the first time. I was like did I did I say
0: <laughs> I said that to
2: him like I gave him that right. um but this one like I was young I was away from home for the first time and um my coaches didn't recruit me at Boston University a new staff came in so I don't think they really ever liked me and I, I don't know that I really loved them and so it was just kind of one of those things where we just butt heads a lot um I think a boiling point was kind of where I one of my freshman classmates had got kind of like his nose broken by one of our sophomores um and this guy was big, like an Olympic boxer in Nigeria and stuff like that. And so the sophomore, this, the, the sophomore. Yeah. He was a grown man. We were all kids. Like this guy was like two thirty, And so I picked up a chair, like a folding chair and started running after him. Cause I wasn't going to fight WWE? him. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> going to fight him. He was too big. So uh I think at that point they were like, eh, let's, let's see if we can get him. a little. <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> I feel like you're Jack I, McCullin, I, and I'm just I, spilling beans in here. I, 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 well, first of all, I'm not going to piss you off because there's chairs in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. <laughs> <wore> Warned Danny,
2: too. <laughs> all right, like, like say when it was time for Bell to take... Okay, so this is... All right, so Jack has now clearly established that... I, all right, so this is proving the anger situation. Like, like, say when it was time for Bell to take his league-mandated urine test a month earlier. He just couldn't produce under pressure and became so incensed that he almost tossed away his cup and walked out, which would result in an automatic suspension. Raja, you can't get mad at a urine test, David Griffin told... Hey, David Griffin, if you're listening... I said, F you, bro. Um, (laughs) you can't get mad at a urine test, David Griffin told him. Bell stuck around and finally came through in the clutch. Uh, I'm just going to let you explain this one. (laughs) Dude, look, here's the deal. When you walk into a locker room in the morning after breakfast, like the first thing you do is go pee. Like you go to the bathroom, right? And then you start getting your gear on and you're ready to practice. And then somebody comes around and is like, Hey, look, you're going to have to prat, you're going to have to pee before you leave practice today. So like what you immediately have to do is like, Jesus, like, you guys start just chugging water. Sometimes, dude, that can be like, you might not have to pee for another couple hours. And now I'm pissed because, like, the last thing I want to do after I've practiced and gone through all of that and done my weightlifting is sit here for another hour trying to pee for people. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and so that was, that was like, I hated the piss test it, to the point where, like, I was in Milwaukee once. We were at shoot around and, like, the bus comes, you shoot, you go through your, your, your walkthrough. And then everybody leaves and goes back to the hotel, takes their nap or whatever. They had to leave me at the arena because you can't leave until you pee. And so happened multiple times to you. No, no, this is the one time in Milwaukee. But like, I, I I literally had to stay at the in the bowels of the Milwaukee arena for like another extra hour to pee. Um, So I used to hate the piss test. Plus, I wasn't on like you could look at my arms. I wasn't on any performance enhancing drugs. Like, come on, bro. Like, what are you doing? I believe you, but uh, you know,
0: look, you had to. You have to do what you got to do. <laughs> right. I hear you, man.
2: I, yeah, so maybe I overreact. I don't know. Maybe I do have some anger issues. Tweet about that, like everybody on Twitter. Use your Twitter fingers to do that. Um, anyway, coming up next, we've got um, Will Brinson. He's going to join us. Um, we're going to have a little, you know, obviously Hannah's going to hit the refresh and a little socially relevant, uh, and we'll go to Eric uh, Debo. My bad for some topics. Uh, that's up next on Off the Bench with Canell and
4: Bell.
0: now time to be joined by our good friend cbs sports senior nfl writer and host of the pick six podcast which is released every morning will brinson you can follow matt will brinson on twitter that's two l's and one b why because he's special Will Brinson joining us now, NFL writer from uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, I'm not, I'm not as polished of podcast host as you. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> um, so, Will, uh, obviously, you're doing a great job as always with the Pick Six podcast. A lot of great guests, and and, and obviously everything you do for CBS Sports. Um, you follow training camp from the luxury of your home. You follow it clearly uh, uh, by a lot of Twitter reports, as do I. Uh, Raja does not. He does not partake in in, in the tweets, um, but. When you're, when you're sort of, uh, following training camp through Twitter, I get this a lot, you know, covering stuff from fantasy that, you know, beat writers get just over enthusiastic about everything that's going on there. What, what's your mm-hmm. view of, you know, following training camp that way?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent right. And look, it's easy to, and by the way, good for you, Raja. Stay off Twitter. It's not <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think it's easy when you're in the moment of late July, early August, Jamie, where, Everything that happens is a positive. There's so much optimism surrounding every team. I mean, look, look, in the last week, right, we've had Jarvis Landry say that anybody who doesn't get 40 points scored on them by the Browns this year will be considered lucky. I mean, what are we what are we doing? And, you know, the same thing, Teddy Bridgewater looks incredible for the Jets. He's their third string quarterback in theory, maybe their second string quarterback, uh, you know, because they haven't signed Sam Darnold. I think that we just get so optimistic about we, we don't have football for three months. And so as a result, we get optimistic when we actually see the action on the field. And these beat writers are not trying to pump up the players. But, you know, th- these guys are mostly playing a lot of times in non-pads, and it's easy to get enthusiastic about what they see, including doing, like, a breakdown of completion percentage, you know, against air by Tim Tebow or something.
2: All right, I'm going to sacrifice my question and ask one that's clearly for Debo here. It's about Carson Wentz in Philly. <laughs> All right, clearly it's quite Debo's question. Um, well, is he going to be the, the week one guy uh, in Philly? And then talk a little bit about how remarkable this rehab has been because he's way ahead of pace, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, he is. And so to to go against the point, I, I would I would say that like you find certain guys you trust in certain in certain areas, right? And I think one of those guys is Jimmy Kimsky, uh phillyvoice.com, who who's actually been on my podcast and who pointed out uh recently that he said he said, "Look, I'm going to spare everybody all the angst and anxiety and concerns over the next few weeks. Carson Wentz, the way you see him is going to be the week one starter." And I think you got the sense reading Jason Lockefora from Eagles camp as well. It seems like Wentz, uh, is ready to go. And you're right, Roger. This has been a remarkable return from an ACL injury because we have Deshaun Watson, who's the Texans are still being cautious with, but suffered the injury earlier in the season. You know, Dalvin Cook, as Pete Prisco pointed out, looks great out there already for the Vikings, but he suffered that injury in the first, you know, couple of weeks of the year. Carson Wentz suffered it late in the season. And, and, you know, you don't ever know how these guys are re- going to recover, especially quarterbacks or running backs, or anybody really, you know, who rely on their legs to move. And Carson Wentz very much did that. You know, the the Eagles have an option here to go with Nick Foles. And instead, they, you know, I think they're probably going to end up going with Carson Wentz because it's Wentz's team. And it's going to be one of the more, you know, it's not as good as Phillip Rivers playing in in a playoff game with no ACL and then returning week one the following season. But it's pretty darn impressive.
0: It's very impressive. It's also very impressive that Andrew Luck is back and playing at, you know, at least in in practice the level that he looks like he's going to be back at 100%. And we know that Luck missed the 2017 season because of that shoulder problem, but you know, it looks like he's uh, you know, n- no setbacks whatsoever going through the practice regimen that the Colts have set forth for him. Will from from Luck's situation and and the Colts as bad as they were a year ago, could they bounce back to being a potential playoff contender?
3: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I I have a Wager in on Andrew Luck to lead the league in passing at, uh, at 30 to 1. I think those are pretty good odds because they have a bad defense. He's going to have a lot of weapons and he's going to have to throw the ball a lot. And I think he's going to come into the season healthy. I had one of our top CBS sports fantasy analysts on Dave Richard. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, uh, he, uh, and he, and he pointed out that he, he thinks Luck is going to be a, is a steal if you can get him in the next few weeks. I know you agree, Jamie, in fantasy drafts because Right now, his value is about as low as it's going to be once he starts playing in these these training camp practices. Once he starts playing in these preseason games, if he looks good, his value is going to skyrocket. And I think the thing about the AFC South where you could see the Colts make a move. One, you know, the Titans are dealing with a lot of turnover. I I like the Titans a lot, but they're dealing with a lot of turnover in terms of the coaching staff. They're incorporating a new offense. You're trying to, you know, Derrick Henry and, and Deion Lewis are both great, but you're trying to, you know, figure out how the running game is going to mesh with those two guys. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of weapons for Marcus Mariota. Defense has added a lot of new pieces and might not necessarily have a great pass rush. Uh, for the Texans, Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt both coming off massive injuries. I mean, we don't know that they're going to return to 100% out of the gate, and they're they're kind of a stars and scrubs sort of roster. And then the Jaguars have been a fantastic team. Right. But for one year and defense is a lot harder to replicate on a consistent basis year over year than offenses. As Pete Briscoe has pointed out, the Jaguars lost two or three games max on defense last year in terms of injuries. That's really lucky. And they could deal with some injuries and, you know, to defense. And then all of a sudden you're leaning on Blake Bortles. Why not Andrew Luck? I mean, I think Frank Reich in this system that he's going to run with a lot of RPOs fits Andrew Luck's style really well. Uh, when you look at the, the offensive linemen that they added, Quentin Nelson is a man amongst boy, you know, just boys. I mean, he's just a monster. He's going to come in and dominate from day one, I believe. And then Braden Smith is a sneaky name to watch because he played at Auburn, which means he's used to these RPO style plays. He's used to being a pulling guard. He's used to playing in this type of offense. And I think you're going to see that this this Colts offense be a lot more effective than people expect.
2: Jamie, I want to switch gears. Uh, this is a topic that Danny and I kind of get into. Sometimes we debated about John Gruden, um, whether it can relate in today's NFL <laughs> and to the new player. And so, you know, reports that him and Khalil Mack haven't spoken. And I guess my question is, like, does that ultimately matter? And how do you see, like, the holdout, you know, with, uh, Khalil Mack taking place in, in light of that?
3: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's actually Khalil Mack who doesn't want to talk to the Raiders because he feels insulted by their low ball offer. That's the sense that you get. More so than it's John Gruden being like, "Hey, don't show up to my training camp." I tell you, I mean, like, he's not like he's not blackballing Khalil Mack because Khalil Mack uh, won't show up to training camp. I mean, it isn't. You know, look, if you're Khalil Mack, you're like, "Hey, guys, you hammered out this deal for Derek Carr pretty quickly when when he was eligible." I, I'm, a, I'm a reigning Defensive Player of the Year, or not the reigning one, but the 2016 one. Uh, you know, I mean, look at it. the resume speaks for itself, and he is so critical to what they want to do this year because. Without Khalil Mack and that Paul Gunther system, that d I mean, he's the he's the to borrow a Dave Damashek term, he's the the jingo piece here. Like if you pull Khalil Mack out of that defense, there are a lot of problems all of a sudden on that side of the ball for the Raiders. I mean, they're like who's 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 leading the charge on that pass rush? Who's the anchor on that defensive line? It, it's going to expose the linebackers. It's really going to expose the secondary if you do that. And and so if you're Oakland, you've got to figure out a way to get Khalil Mack in there. But I think there's a little bit, Raja, of a, a game of chicken going on between Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald's camps because they both want to be the highest paid defensive player. They don't want to be topped by the next guy. They both kind of want quarterback money. So who's gonna who's gonna give here? Which team is gonna cave? Which player is gonna cave? It's a real mess for those teams. And I think Oakland probably needs Khalil Mack more than maybe Aaron Donald needs the Rams. But but Gruden to me, I don't know what to make of him. If you told me this team would go four and twelve, I'd buy it. If you told me they went twelve and four, I'd buy it. I can see them being enthused by his Personality, and I can see some of the things he did on offense working. But then when you look at his stats in Tampa Bay, and even in Oakland, like in Oakland his defenses were bad the first time around, and in Tampa Bay his offenses were terrible. So he won a he won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's defense, and they got fired. I I mean, I don't want to knock John Gruden, but I don't know that there's necessarily like a really true true like history of him just dominating at at the coaching level.
0: It's okay. You can knock John Gruden. We, we, we totally understand. <laughs> sort of um, <laughs> uh, you do a great job, Will, obviously on the Pick 6 podcast, and you recently had Warren Sharp of Sharp Football on, and obviously analytics are big in baseball and basketball, but football sort of catching up a little bit. What did you learn from your conversation with Warren, and, and and do you expect analytics to sort of take hold in the NFL, mostly I think among the fan base because clearly there are a lot of people in the media that are starting to understand the analytics of, of the sport. Yeah, I think it's going Not to take longer.
3: No, I think I think it's going to take longer than it should because the fan base that watches football, like you're not going to get your uncle Jed into you know analytics breaking down why an offensive line is better than another. But there's a really interesting quote from Joe Banner, the former Eagles executive, in Warren's football preview. It's like a like a forward or something like that. And he's like, "Analytics aren't." I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, "Analytics aren't like." A way for nerds to understand football. It's a way to gather more information to make a more informed decision. I mean, that's that's all it is. And you're taking more statistics. So Warren was someone how you know like if you don't want to just like live and die by what Warren Sharp says about statistics. You don't want to live and die by what Pro Football Focus says. You don't want to live and die by what the stats say. You know you need to take all of this information and bring it in and make a informed, rational decision based on those statistics. And I think that's the ultimate goal of analytics is to make smarter decisions. And so I think some of the stuff that Warren really looks at, so like uh, the bills, for instance, would run 84. This is what he said on the podcast would run 84% of the time on second and 10 after an incompletion on first and 10. So in other words, they would throw the ball in first and 10, the pass is incomplete and then their opponent knows 84% of the time they're going to run the ball on the very next play which makes them a predictable and b it makes them dumb for thinking that they're going to pick up enough yards to stay ahead of the sticks on on third down and so in other words you're basically punting literally and figuratively on that possession and so what warren was saying is he'd like to see more teams run or more teams pass and be aggressive on first down because you put yourself in a better chance to succeed by picking up more yardage And because people haven't come around to the idea that passing now is so much more efficient. The Patriots are ahead of the curve on this. I mean, we all know it. I mean, no surprise. But the Patriots are willing to pass in any down, any situation because they know that a pass is almost, is almost just as successful as a run in terms of efficiency.
2: Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. This, this, that's, they've just taken over the NBA. So it's interesting to see them, or hear them applied. Amazing the Bills doing something dumb. That, yeah. uh, <laughs> <first>. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's move on to another segment we call, uh, superlative. So it's a little quicker, not rapid fire, but just a little quicker. Um, and we have a little fun with it. So, uh, my first one is, what's the most likely place Des Bryant spends week one? On a couch or on an active roster?
3: Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll say active roster, but I'm not sure which one. It's, it's hard to find a good couch these days. <laughs>
0: The most likely topic discussed in the Browns secret RV Clubhouse
3: is. Where should we cook? That's a break. <laughs> Probably not. It's, I don't think they're cooking math in that in their lab. All
2: right, questions you at least likely ask Tom Brady if you didn't want him to end up uh, to end a media session abruptly.
3: Ooh, um, why what is your favorite flavor of avo- avocado ice cream? <laughs> is
2: there more than one flavor? Cayenne avocado. I mean you
0: can sprinkle a little seasoning on it, right? I guess. Speaking of food, and we'll let you go on this one. Well, you're a North Carolina guy. cam Newton grabbed some bojangles from fans the other day at training camp. The best
3: Bojangles order is? Oh, uh chicken, egg and cheese. Cajun filet chicken, egg and cheese. It is the best biscuit you will ever have in your entire life. It is perfection, uh, and it is the perfect cure for perhaps a, a bad feeling on a Saturday or Sunday morning.
0: So it's a breakfast thing. Not a, you, can you eat that all day or just breakfast? You
3: can eat it all day. Yeah, you can get it. All, yeah, Boj was just breakfast all day long. And uh, but yeah, chicken, egg, and cheese, Cajun fillet. It's a spicy Cajun style fillet topped with egg and cheese on this biscuit, and it's a mashed together grease ball perfection.
0: NFL expert, food expert, oh, Will Brinson. Thank you for joining us. And to make sure you check out the Pick Six podcast, which again is released every morning. Uh, Will, thank you for joining us here on uh, off the bench.
3: Thanks, guys. Have a great day.
0: Thank you, and now it's time to go to a refresh with our good friend, Hannah. Take it away, Hannah.
4: Dez Bryant remains unsigned this season, and Antonio Brown took to Twitter to recruit him himself to the Steelers, saying, quote, Come play with me, Dez. Let's get the chip. Eat greedy big plates. The Baseball Hall of Fame has welcomed six new members into Cooperstown. Chipper Jones, Vlad Guerrero, Jim Tomey, Trevor Hoffman, Jack Morris, and Alan Trammell. Sunday's ceremony featured a record number of Hall of Famers and the second biggest induction crowd in history. The Houston Rockets signed Clint Capella to a five-year, $90 million extension over the weekend. Capella was a restricted free agent, and had he instead signed a $4.3 million qualifying offer, he would have entered 2019 as an unrestricted free agent. That was your refresh. It's now time for Socially Relevant, where I break down what's happening around the world in social media. So first things first, guys, we got to talk about some of these NBA stars because it should be that time of year for them where they take a break, take a vacation, take some time off, but not so fast for Giannis Antetokounmpo. He was seen in the gym here, and it looks like he's taking no days off. He posted a photo on Instagram Jesus. with his brothers. The caption says, we want it all. Hashtag stay freaky. Hashtag Toku Bro's. I wish you guys could see the rest of this photo here because he is twice the size as everyone else in this photo. I don't know much about gym etiquette, but it looks like he could maybe take a day off, right? Maybe yeah, he's, a leg day. Oh, he's, Look he's, at this old photo. What has he been jacked. doing?
2: Hey, you know what he's doing? He's like... When, when you're in the NBA, you gotta, you have to go through the rigors of 90, 100, some games, depending on your playoff situation. Like, your body's gotta be able to handle that. And he's putting on the weight, um, you know, in the right places. He's bulking up in the shoulders and the arms, all those places to take a pound in when you gotta score the ball. Hopefully, he's not skipping leg day, because that's really <laughs> important too, like, especially, uh, you know, when you're trying to, when you're trying to keep injuries off your back. But, man, he looks jacked in that picture.
0: Wear green every game because he looks like the Hulk. (laughs) I mean, that's that's all you got to do. He's going to scare everybody. My goodness. All right,
4: guys. Now over to one of our favorite vets, Dirk Nowitzki. Now, it's no secret that he did not have a standout season last year, but he just turned 40, so we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he recently had his drug testing offseason, and he took the opportunity to make fun of himself a little bit. He tweeted, quote, just at off-season drug testing. Told the guy, did you see me move last year? If I was on something, I need to change the product <laughs> ASAP. So, Jamie, Raja, are you guys all in favor for him just calling himself out here?
2: Yeah, I love it. And that's one of my favorite things about Dirk is, like, his humor um, and, and how self-deprecating he can be at times. Like, he's really, really... A really funny guy and I'm with him like that's the same thing I was saying earlier like right. did you, you see my arm I didn't look like the Greek freak like you don't need to be testing me so I'm with him like Dirk at 47 years old they don't need to be drug testing him anymore.
0: This uh, I think you know uh, you call it Eric Debo our, our, yeah, our Debo. Uh, Dirk could have just produced the whole show for us because we got social media yep. and we got piss tests so True. we, we <laughs> got our, our whole show wrapped up into one tweet by Dirk Davidsky
4: Alright guys that was socially relevant be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canal and Bell. Raja what's coming up next?
2: Uh, coming up next, we got Topics with Debo.
0: Welcome back to Off the Bench. It's now time to go to our Topics with our good buddy Debo. What you got
1: for us, Debo? So he doesn't share his dad's first name like LeBron, but don't sleep on Zaire Wade, who's just a couple years older than Bronny. And while the dads won titles together, Dwayne Wade tweeted this, I love playing the game, but watching my son play is the purest joy I've ever had in basketball. Raja. Can you relate?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, it is really cool to watch your son hoop and, and see him experience, uh, some success. It's also super frustrating, um, when you see him do things at a young age or that you've tried to teach him not to do and whatnot. But I, I, I tend to agree with him. Like it's much more fun for me to sit there and watch my kids play any sport than it was for me to play them. I just get way more fired up. Football mornings, like Saturday mornings are like my favorite time of year and I got nothing to do but set up a tent and sit there and watch a game. You coach too? I don't coach football, I coach basketball.
0: Yeah, I coached my son in baseball and soccer. My oldest one's six. Yeah. So, uh, I played baseball through high school. Obviously no, nothing to level you did, obviously, but, um, same thing frustration. Yeah. But pure joy. Sure.
1: No doubt. So Kanye has dropped LeBron and D Wade references in a lot of songs. I'm not going to quote them because that typically sounds unnatural. Dang but it, dang it. Kanye changed the shoe game in basketball with one simple tweet saying, Adding basketball with some shoe designs for Yeezys set to be released in twenty nineteen. Raja, a few months ago, you said you were out on Yay. Does that still hold true?
2: I'm all the way out on Yay. My damn boys listen to this song that's like scoop dee poop
1: Poopity scoopy Doo. <laughs> like
2: and it's I, I thought it was a joke, bro. Like I am I told you before and I'm gonna say it again, I'm out.
0: Now I believe what, North is the daughter? Right? Is it? Yeah, north-north. Yes. Did she draw those? <laughs> <laughs> Is that her design? Uh,
1: she might have drawn this next tattoo. The swag champ has apparently added some permanent swag to his body. That's right. Nick Young adds this tattoo of the Larry O'Brien trophy on his neck. Does this mean people will never forget that Swaggy was a part of the 2017-2018 Warriors, however small that part was? I... <sighs>
2: I just think that, like, why can't we get a cool Larry O'Brien, like, rendition on somebody? Like, why does it have to be one that looks like it's on the generic, like, pictures of tats that you see when you go up into the tattoo parlor? You're like, yeah, give me number 3B. I
0: want that one. Give me that Larry O'Brien. Like, you could put a cooler Larry O'Brien on you than that. He, I mean, he he can just, like... Show the trophy, right? He has pictures of him holding the trophy, or the ring, or the ring. He got a ring, <laughs> the, the ring. Yeah, I, yeah, Jesus, whatever floats your boat. Speaking that of
2: works. which, hey, I gotta go I, ahead, Raja. Have you heard of the man, like the mandala, like like tattoos, like the new tattoos that like that that everybody wants, the mandala sleeves or anything like that? No, no. they're kind of cool. I want one.
1: <laughs> uh, so we're sad that Danny isn't here for this one because this one feels like he may have won the war against soccer and soccer fans. So Brazilian soccer star Neymar. Finally admits in a Gillette ad that he exaggerated some calls during the World Cup. He said in this ad, you may think I exaggerate, and sometimes I do exaggerate, but the truth is I suffer on the pitch. Do we feel bad for him? (laughs) You suffer on the pitch.
3: I love it.
0: I think some of the greatest things that came out of this were the kids mocking him. I don't know if you see any of these videos, but yes. like kids running on the soccer field and all of a sudden they fall down. Everybody dives. Everybody dives. It's hilarious. And so, look, good, good for him to finally cop into it, but just stop, man. You know what bothers me about soccer and like soccer culture? Um, is that any
2: soccer like person, and I've had this argument over the last month or so, will tell you that NBA players flop more than soccer players. Now, NBA players flop. I don't even think it's in the same stratosphere. These dudes
0: roll around for 10 minutes after they. Right. Flop. There, there's one thing to flop. See if you get the call. Yeah. Up, move get on. up and move on. My ankle. how did Correct.
1: you phrase it? You said you were just exaggerating calls that were um, already in place. Yeah.
2: Listen, you might need a little bit extra sauce to see what actually happens. So I'm going to give it to you. I'll give you just a little (laughs) little theatrics so you can make the right call. That's all
1: (laughs) Raja and all the top 10 lists for NBA floppers all time. Just have to mention that we're going to end with this final topic. Another one of his favorites. Raja's. Uh, apparently have to add another unwritten rule to baseball in the, in the 37th millionth uh, installment of old white guys, pretentious white guys yelling at clouds. Braves announcers threw an on-air tantrum about get this, the Dodgers not wearing full uniforms during batting practice and instead wearing just t-shirts the horror so braves analyst joe simpson said they looked very unprofessional if i were a dodger fan i'd be embarrassed and i don't know how major league baseball allows such attire when the gates open um by the way chase utley was wearing a strikeout cancer t-shirt
2: you just broke it over
0: yourself like, I don't even know what else to say. I, uh, I think part of his rant also was uh, the fans can't identify who's up at bat. Like, if you're there to watch batting practice, you know, you who, they know who they are. Yes. Especially, I mean, look, the Dodgers are a pretty well-known team. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not like we're talking about, you know, maybe the, the Brewers rolling into town where you don't know the roster. I think pretty much everybody knows a lot of the players on, on, on the are, Dodgers. And, you know, especially some of the T-shirts like, like Chase Utley was wearing, like, you know it would be so dope, and I want to call the Dodgers. Are they? Do they play each other
2: again right now? Like, is it another game? They Oh damn it! Well, the next time they play them, they should all roll out there in a damn tuxedo to bat. <laughs> it's so phenomenal.
0: Uh, or, or you know, um, the movie Major League. I think they did a, a American Express commercial. Yeah, and they had like jerseys on or their names on tuxedos. Yeah, right, it's so dope. Something along those lines. So so at least the, the the announcers can uh can know who they are and. and Certainly, we know who you are. I don't know if everybody knows who I am, but you know, I thank you now. for letting me join uh, off the bench here with uh, with Canel and Bell. I'll be back again tomorrow, and, and hopefully, Danny doesn't get any more speeding tickets <laughs> when he's on his way home from his trip. But uh, safe, Danny. Uh, this has been off the bench with Canell and Bell for Roger Bell. I'm Jamie Eisberg. Thanks for listening.